Thanks for joining us. I'm Alan Burke, a landscape architect here in the Puget Sound region, and you are listening to the Green Meridian Podcast. Welcome to the Green Meridian Podcast. Someone handed me a list recently of all the staff we've hired over the last three plus decades. It's almost 400 people. I went through and I highlighted the problematic pinheads that I wouldn't wish on anybody. There were quite a few. Then I followed up by highlighting the good people that were and are consistent, creative, and caring. As you might expect, that's a much longer list. My feeling is that in perspective, even the most dramatic problems will fade in your memory over time. People are people with all their flaws and wonders and inconsistencies. I do think that if we can recognize the emotional needs and personal interests of those that we work with, we can build relationships that encourage dependability and a greater sense of responsibility. But landscape contractors have a hell of a time finding and retaining good quality staff. It has the sense of a problem that will never go away. When green industry employers get together, we all share up to a certain point what we're doing, what methods we find successful. Then again, sharing these ideas can have the flavor of, you know, finding gold up in our hills. That is, we do find a solution that works. The last thing we want is to see our competitor in our secret hiring spot. At my firm, we hire a number of different types of workers, from nursery techs to production workers, design talent, and outdoor craftspeople. We ask a lot of them. From administrative office staff to designers, and of course our production people, our folks wear a lot of hats. Office staff are juggling all the many accounts and administrative tasks from HR functions to accounting and marketing and lead choreography. Our designers often serve in part as project managers, not only seeing people and pre-qualifying potential clients, but also putting together estimates and plans and implementing the project with our production staff. And our production people are working outside in all kinds of weather, pushing rocks, up the hill in the rain, as I say. It's not necessarily a pleasant job, but we look for folks that can see the craft inside it all. We hope to instill a sense of enthusiasm with our production staff and hope that they can see the beauty in what they are able to assemble and get a sense of accomplishment from the ability to create habitat and remedy some of the negative effects of development in creative endeavors with plants and rock and light and wood and water. Entering my curmudgeonly years, I know it's almost a trope to say that kids these days don't want to work very hard anymore. This may or may not be true. I expect back in biblical times there was some old codger who yelled at his son for writing on papyrus when he could have been hammering out his message on a stone tablet. Such is the nature of progress. As in all things, moving forward can be a mixture of positive and negative. You gain something, you lose something. What we gain in automation, we perhaps give up an attention span. All that noted, today's topic speaks to all of this and is about the labor force or lack of it. So let's get started. Anyone who follows a few economic indicators will know that we've been on a roller coaster ride with regard to the unemployment rate over the last few years. In January of 2021, unemployment was above 14%, with many employed people hanging by a thread. 
We're now in 2022, coming into 2023 at a historic low in unemployment, now under 4%. This has been a breathtakingly swift recovery from the pandemic years. The landscape industry nationally is about a $10 billion business. It's estimated that nationally, construction category employment added 80,000 individuals more for the month of July alone in comparison to the same time the prior year. Of these workers in the landscape industry, 91% of them are men with an average age of 41. And importantly, almost 40% choose to stay with a particular company for less than one year. Even with what would appear to be people ready to work, there are a number of odd anomalies that are affecting labor availability. First of all, a major portion of the workforce is retiring or nearing it. Boomers like me are aging out and the generations coming up now have vastly different attitudes about work. People are frankly stressed and burnt out as families ride the pandemic roller coaster. Childcare needs are more important than ever as families need to juggle new and unpredictable demands from work and school. There's also a newly defined disenfranchised workforce, potentially available workers that have simply decided not to work. Honestly, I don't know how one comes to be able to make that choice and get by, but Godspeed to them. Just don't take money from my pocket if you're able-bodied, but you're choosing to stay home playing Call of Duty. There is also, and distinctly, a new attitude toward company loyalty and the amount of time an employee will spend working for a specific company. This is a new dynamic that we're still putting a definition to. Gen Xers, now 41 to 56 years of age, Millennials or Gen Y folks at 25 to 40 years old, and the Gen Z kids at 6 to 24 years are redefining how we look at our work and our careers. With what is being called the Gen A or the Alpha generation, kids up to five years old now, you can bet that the orientation toward work will dramatically change even further. When we review a prospective employee, we'll likely see now a series of job hopping events where in the past an individual might be at a job for the duration of a career, now we're vetting applicants that may experience 10 or more jobs over the course of a working lifetime. One silver lining for employers is that according to a job list survey recently, approximately 20% of people, 26% actually, who quit their job during what is now called the great resignation of 2021 are regretting it. And for those that quit and moved on to new jobs, as many as 42% of those folks said that the new job really didn't live up to their expectations. While 21% of the millennials say that they've changed job in the last year alone, 60% will say they're open to a new job opportunity. This can be both a blessing and a curse for prospective employers. No more so than in the green industry trades, in particular the landscape and nursery business. In prospecting for new staff, employers will likely see more folks available to answer a call for a job, but that as they accept and start working, they may not stay in place for as long as an employer would like. This necessitates a new and redefined way of thinking that involves a mix of innovations from creative benefits and remote work possibilities to the building of a positive company culture and all of these facets of the new work thinking that need to become part of an employer's toolkit. For design and administrative staff, there's more of a push and a desire for remote work. Statistics are showing that over the last few years, as many as 4.7 million people are working remotely, at least half the time from home. This number has risen 160% since 2009. While 16% of companies are fully remote now, about 44% don't allow it at all. And many, like in the landscape production trades for very practical reasons. 
Remote work offers both a positive and negative aspect to it as well. 74% of remote workers say that having that option makes them less likely to leave a company. While a concerned employer may not really know whether staff are working as intensely as they might if they could be seen at the office. Conversely, the employee may experience a situation where there really seems to be no discernible downtime away from work. The office is right there in the spare room 24-7. This might be to the advantage of a salesperson that can take a call at any time and thereby earn commission, but it might pose a problem if a manager feels they can call a staffer at any time of night or day. Employers need to be aware of all the ramifications around remote work and what the requirements and edges are in order to produce a productive workforce. When the pandemic hit and all the chaos ensued, as an employer and a design-build designer myself, I was immediately struck with very real concerns about how we were going to proceed. Within a week of the shutdown at our end, we had set up a Zoom conference system, and I was starting to do video conferences really for the first time. Now I could kick myself for not doing it years earlier. Within a few days of one of my first calls, I signed an installation contract for over $150,000 based upon a discussion with a potential client on a video call alone. That was an eye-opener for me. I've set up regular video conferences times now and encourage our design staff to do this as well on a regular basis. There are a number of distinct advantages to working remotely or by video conference with potential and existing clients this way and using video calls as a hiring technique and tool as well. We can cover that perhaps in another episode, but tools like Teams and Zoom have redefined our interactions. And for many of us, we have the irony of a pandemic to thank for it. For most of us in the landscape trades, the elephant in the room really centers around immigration policy. We live in a strange bubble where we find ourselves in a trade nationally that is centered on a certain level of hypocrisy that we fully accept and yet we refuse to acknowledge. Ironically, statistics show that many folks that own and manage landscape companies tend to be more conservative. And as such, they support a much stricter interpretation of immigration policy. In my view, that is both hypocritical and counterproductive. For those in the installation and care trades, I think it's common sense to look around your shop and see that many of your staff may be Hispanic and come from a background that centers in Central America. The fact is that statistics show that almost 80% of landscape tradespeople speak Spanish over any other foreign language. This is the case. Everyone in the trades knows it, and we all rely on our income from this type of workforce for much of our assistance. We could certainly do better than to vilify and threaten the people that work hard to support us with deportation and insults to their families and livelihood. This kind of negative and unnecessarily acrimonious thinking is just counterintuitive to what really should be happening. Everyone in the green industry should have a fundamental understanding that the Hispanic workforce is central to our success. Historically, this is true. There's no way to talk your way around it. The fact is, statistically, owners of landscape companies would support the deportation of individuals that are working to support their businesses. It's strikingly asinine. A better solution would be for the landscape trade associations to realign themselves to become stronger proponents of immigration reform and demand legislative changes to strengthen and broaden this kind of legislation. If landscape companies want to quote unquote solve the immigration problem, they know how to do it. It doesn't require beefing up the border or building a ridiculous wall over a few miles of territory. Best of all, it's in place now and ready to go. The reform that is already in place and that would immediately solve our immigration problem is called E-Verify. E-Verify program is a national federally run 
situation that's a simple setup in which a person applying for a job has their social security number verified from an online national security database. It's relatively foolproof. It's immediately effective in determining whether someone is documented or not. So why don't construction and landscape companies advocate for E-Verify if the owners of those companies are statistically more conservative and they want to be more strident about immigration policy? Well, frankly, they know that it works. That's the problem. Think about it. If it was implemented, construction and landscape companies would have to fire many of their staff in production likely. Then the owners of those companies would have to rethink their position on immigration and admit they were completely incorrect. So let's make a leap of faith here. What if we followed the conservative viewpoint right off the ledge and gave these owners what they purport to want? I know it doesn't make any sense at all, but stay with me here because in my frustration about the senseless hypocrisy and double talk, we really should look at the end game. Sometimes I think that if everyone was deported that is undocumented, we would force a complete reset in our thinking nationally. Because, you know, within days, we would suddenly have no tomatoes in the store. Our housing market would crumble. Skyscraper construction would slow to a crawl. Roads and bridges would deteriorate. Golf courses would become overgrown. The supply chain would basically go into a full lockup. Folks might finally pay attention then and stop all this bullshit talk. This is, of course, crazy and so practical. It's impractical. At the very least, we should open our eyes and show some respect and acknowledge what a large portion of our immigrant population is actually doing. That would be basically everything. Quit giving them a hard time about it. Let's recognize their sweat and determination and give them a means by which to seek citizenship. Getting around to the topic, these folks want to work. They're available and they're ready to go. An immediate and significant repair to our hidden unemployment problem would be to increase funding and cap limits for the H-2B Immigration Employment Program. This program effectively allows employers to hire visa-documented workers from out of the country and permits them to work domestically for nine months out of the year. There's a similar program for tech workers. The H-2B program allows 66,000 people per fiscal year now, with a cap of 33,000 workers that begin in the first half of the fiscal year from October 1st to March 31st, and 33,000 more for workers who begin employment in the second half of the fiscal year, April 1st to September 30th. Our experience with this program is that these folks are glad to work. They work hard. They send money home to their families and return home each year with the promise that they may be able to return in a subsequent year. Granted, it's a cumbersome federal program with a good bit of paperwork. The program requires that the employer send solicitations asking for domestic workers first. Anyone that's put an employment ad in knows that in the case of the landscape trades, of course, nobody local really applies. So the company can then supply a list of people that will apply. It's a great program that should be streamlined and exponentially expanded. Another point of resistance for hiring individuals has been the mission creep and compensation expectations. We've seen not only an increase in the minimum wage, at least here in the Pacific Northwest, but also a general increase in expectations regarding compensation for hourly workers and construction across the board. This, I think, is unprecedented in its speed and incline. Statistics will show that construction wages increased by an average of over 3% year over year, though many of us in the trades think it might be five times that, really, at least in the single family residential design build market anyway. What can a landscape company manager do about this? Well, you can certainly increase your pricing to reflect the new increases in overhead for labor and production staff. You can also put new hires on a track for increased pay over time based upon performance. 
New laws in Washington state put minimum levels for salaried workers at a moderately unusual high level now as well. I think most salaried workers are required to be on a $52,000 a year annual salary here with anticipated compensation needing to be posted on any employment advertising. This means further adjustments for some of your current administrative staff or an awkward discussion of converting someone from salary back to an hourly rate. New methods for hiring have changed the way that employers are seeking out candidates now as well. Word of mouth referrals are, of course, a strong means by which to find new employees, but we are far from the days when Craigslist ads were adequate enough to bring in new and interested production workers. There are a number of new online resources related to hiring, but what you will find is that many labor production workers did, do not use them to the same degree that professional administrative or design staff might be reviewing sites like this. As such, online employment ads cannot really be allowed to stagnate either. You have to revisit them and refresh the ads to keep them on top. What they call push type social media ads, SEO hiring integration at your website and other innovative and in your face methods might yield more inquiries from workers. Building an easy, enthusiastic, and pleasant culture within your company is sometimes difficult to maintain. We often have folks from different cultures at differing age groups that speak different languages. Folks with kids and families are easily tugged away from work functions and are hard to pin down for social gatherings. Having activities during the workday might triple the expense involved when you factor in opportunity losses of work that isn't being done. And of course, weekday activities will usually not include the families, a key component of who you may be trying to include. It's also quite frankly, just hard to have fun, despite what all the business owners that wanna shine a light up your ass about what they say about all their hiring successes and parties they have at work. We are after all in construction and doing daily construction tasks. There can be a certain level of stress and acrimony that will arise. It's important to keep this in check. Mid-level managers in particular need to be folks that are pleasant to be around and that are easily easily able to provide constructive criticism in a way that does not disenfranchise an employee. This is a critical aspect of your company structure that needs to be closely considered. Offering events on a periodic basis that have food and drink is helpful, and thinking of ways to give awards and individual recognition of merit is always a good thing. On another note, one aspect of the business that we have changed is to reset our thinking about the workers' transition away from the company. You'll recall that earlier I noted that over 40% of landscape workers will stay with the company for less than a year. Rather than thinking negatively about this and being troubled by it, you might want to instead encourage and reinforce folks that want to leave and take the next step in their careers. Whether they're going back to school or perhaps going to another company, we want to let them know that they were supported, they're honored, and they'll be missed by us. And we wish them the best. This is especially helpful, I think, in reflection with workers that stay, for them to know that it's not a punitive thing when someone leaves, but that we do truly support the satisfaction and happiness of everyone in the workforce. Hey, especially when it's a really bad production workers, I, I, I always give them lots of encouragement, and then I send them directly over to work for our most obnoxious competitor. Looking back now on a number of decades in business, there are so many people that we've worked with that many of them I can't really even remember. In the moment, in the day, I know that each and every person was very real to me. I'm sure that those individuals that caused problems became the center of a stressful week for me at that time. But looking back on it now, each of those events was just a tempest in a teapot. When you think along the arc of your life, it's best to forgive and forget and move on. 
having a relaxed attitude, a pleasant demeanor, and being able to focus positive energy on those that have chosen to work alongside you will give you a much more to be happy and thankful for. Namaste. Thanks for listening.